Hi, this is Kim Olver, your host of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equals Life. Welcome to episode two. This week, we'll be talking about more than goal setting. Let's talk about goal attainment. I don't know if you're like me, but when I got started in my business back in 2004, I was pretty good at making New Year's resolutions. I took the time on New Year's to think about what goals I wanted to accomplish for the year. I didn't necessarily write them down. And somewhere around the time the Super Bowl was on television, I'd forgotten all about them. Usually I started like gangbusters and I did really well for the first couple of weeks. And then I just drifted off and stopped. One thing I figured out is the experts who say it takes 21, and I've heard some say 30 days to create a new habit. I'm not so sure that that time frame is what works for me because I've definitely done things 21 and 30 days and it hasn't remained a habit for me. I knew I was going to need something a little bit more. So I studied a lot of goal setting gurus. I looked at Jack Canfield. I looked at Stephen Covey. And there were a lot of other people that aren't as famous that I read books about, and I really looked at their systems to see what they were doing. And then I created this seven-step system that I know works for me. I figured if it works for me, there may be some other people out there that it could work for too. So I'd like to share it with you since this is the time of year everybody is thinking about their 2020 goals. And I think especially this year because it is a new decade. So my first step I call begin at the end. This is very much like Stephen Covey's begin with the end in mind. In Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about beginning with the end in mind and visualizing your funeral and what you would like people to be saying about you at your funeral. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like to spend time thinking about my funerals. I'd rather think about what I want people to be saying about me at my 100th birthday party. I'm thinking about the good stuff that people might say and even some of the things they may roast me over. I just want to have in my mind, how do I want that day to go? Once you have that 100th birthday vision locked in, then it becomes fairly easy to ask yourself, what would I like my life to look like in 2030? So you're gonna give a 10-year vision. And when you have that 10-year vision complete, and when I say complete, I want you to think about all the areas of your life and what you want to be happening in them. I want you to think about your relationships. I want you to think about your work. I want you to think about your free time, your hobbies, your interests, where you might want to live. I want you to think about all the things that will be important to you 10 years from now and get a really good picture of what that looks like. Once you have that vision, then you can scale it back to if you're going to accomplish what you want in 2030, halfway there is 2025. So let's define what halfway there looks like. So if you're looking to have a million dollars by 2030, then by 2025, you'll want to have a half a million. Look at the vision for five years from now, and then make it a little bit closer and look at the vision for three years. Goal-setting experts have said that people often overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but they greatly underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. So dream big for your five-year vision. You could go anywhere. You could accomplish anything. Think about halfway to your 2030 vision. If you're struggling with your life vision or your 10-year vision or even your five-year vision, 
It might be because you haven't really zeroed in on what your life purpose is or purposes. Sometimes we have more than one. What I mean by that is why are you here? There are no spare parts here on planet Earth. And so if you're here, if you're taking up space, if you're breathing, there is a mission you're here to accomplish. And whatever that passion you have, whatever you're really good at, those are things that are meant for other people, not just for yourself. If you happen to be a world-class singer, but the only place you sing is in your car, in the shower, you may know what your passion is, but you're really not meeting your purpose because you're not sharing that gift with others. The gifts and talents that we have been given are given to us to make life better for other people. Some people know their passion early in life. In fact, I believe children are pretty keyed in and tuned in to their passion. And then life happens and people talk to them and they get steered in different directions. I knew when I was in fifth grade that I would be some kind of helping professional. At that time, I thought it would be a psychiatrist because for me, the only helping professional I knew about was Lori on Young and the Restless, and she was a psychiatrist. So I thought, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I was the person in the fifth grade that other classmates would come to, and sometimes upperclassmen would call me with their problems too. It's pretty hard to think of what kind of problems people could have in fifth grade, but the problems usually were along the lines of, oh, I like so-and-so, do you think he or she likes me back? Or it might be a fight with the parents, maybe a grounding, something like that, maybe bad grades. But people liked talking to me, and I genuinely liked talking to them, and I feel like a lot of times I was helpful to people. I was on that path. In my teenage years, there were times I thought about doing other things. I had a thought about being a math teacher. I was pretty good in math, but I wasn't very excited about it. I also thought about being a missionary because I was quite active and involved in church. That also is not the direction I think I was supposed to go. There was even another time when I wanted to be a concert pianist. And this was also part of Young and the Restless. It had an influence over me at that particular time because there were twins when the show started, Laura and Leslie. Leslie was the pianist and Laura was the psychiatrist. At least I think that's how it was. I'm not sure it was a long time ago. But anyway, I had taken piano lessons for a lot of years and played fairly well. And when I thought about being a concert pianist, it didn't seem like the lifestyle was the thing that was going to make me happy. So I remember when my mom dropped me off at college and I was studying psychology, she said to me, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money in psychology. And I remember looking at her and saying, mom, there's more important things than money. And I still to this day believe that money is not what drives me. I like to help people. I want to make life better for people. And I want to live a happy, healthy life for myself. One word of caution, when you do find your passion, when you are operating in line with what you're here to do and what you're supposed to do for others, I can almost guarantee that there will be people who are jealous of you. There's a lot of people out there who are not living their passion. They are not living their purpose. And so when they see someone who is, especially if it's someone close to them, they can feel jealous of that instead of supportive. When that happens, you may find that you need to leave some people behind. I know it's hard and it's sad and it may even be your best friend. It may be a family member, 
But when you have people who are constantly pulling at you with a lot of negative energy, when you're trying to do the right thing, you may have to cut them loose and move forward and find new people that will be supportive and encouraging of what you're trying to do. Ridding yourself of toxic people is an important step to take as you try to elevate your life. Step two I call balance is the key. A lot of people when they set goals at the beginning of the year are things like work goals, fitness goals, financial goals. Those are usually the three categories that I hear about most. There's a lot more to life than just work, fitness, and finances. How many of us have ever set a relationship goal? And I don't mean, oh, I'm going to meet my soulmate in 2020. I mean, you have relationships in your life. How many of you out there have set goals to try to make them even better? I remember this was quite a novel idea to me, and I read about it in Jack Hanfield's Success Strategies. I think that's what it was. And he recommended setting relationship goals. And when my kids were in high school after their dad died, my kids were the most important thing to me. But of course, I had to work. I needed to pay the bills. At the beginning of the week, when I would schedule what was going to be happening that week, I would always go to both of my sons and I would say, what's one thing I can do this week that you would really appreciate? And it was great because they would answer that question. And sometimes it was as simple as, could you make lasagna this week for dinner? And other times it might be, could you go to my soccer game on Wednesday? And occasionally I'd get asked to help out with the school project. All of that were things that I really wanted to do. And so I would schedule those things in first. But the idea is you have to think about all aspects of your life, not just work, finances, and fitness. You want to think about all the areas of your life that are important to you. Is charity important to you? Is your spiritual life important to you? So you may want to set goals in terms of those. In The Eighth Habit, Stephen Covey talks about looking at the areas of physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual components when he sets goals. Richard Eyre, in his book Life Balance, talks about six areas. He talks about people body, being or spiritual, the brain or intellectual, time, and money. Serrano Kelly in The Game talks about balancing 12 areas of our life, body and health, money, relationships, spiritual life, mind, tools, environment, education, family, work, charities and hobbies, interests, and art. Because I'm a choice theory person, I like to look at my five basic needs and think about how I can become more fulfilled in each area of those needs. I have a list of questions that I like to use to reflect on what I want to accomplish in the coming year. You've got your vision, your 10, 5, 3 year vision. In the next step, you're going to be thinking about your goals for this one year. So January 2021, what do you want to accomplish? I use these questions to help me decide what areas I want to focus on and then set goals in those areas that resonate with me. There's nothing magic about these questions. They are built around the five basic needs of choice theory. If they work for you, you're welcome to use any of them that you like, and please feel free to add in some of your own. 
I ask myself, what do I need to do to maintain or improve my health? What do I need to do to feel more secure? What goals do I want to set for my relationships this year? What do I want to do to leave a legacy, make a difference, or have an impact? What can I do to engage my creativity this year? What goals do I want to set around increasing my independence? What can I do that would be liberating to me? Do I need to set and enforce some personal boundaries? What are the goals I want to set to increase moments of joy in my life? Traveling is a big joy for me. What would I most like to learn this year? What goals would be useful in the area of relaxation? What goals do I want to set regarding my spirituality? And what goals do I want to set around charity and giving to others? When I have the answers to these, then I know what goals I'm going to be looking at for 2021. Step three is taking stock and looking at where are you right now? What are your strengths and what are the barriers to your success? As important as knowing where you want to go is realizing where you are right now. You need to be brutally honest with yourself. You have to look in the mirror and try to see as clearly as you can where you really are. Some people will be able to do that pretty well. Other people look in the mirror and they see their best version of themselves. They don't see the reality of who they actually are. They are looking and seeing who they wish they were or who they want to be. This is dangerous because you may have some goals that you need to set that you just can't see because you're not looking for your shortcomings. You're only looking at your best self. You're not looking at yourself realistically. On the other end, there's people who will look in the mirror and they don't see themselves. They see the worst version of themselves. They beat themselves up. They're critical about themselves. And they too are not being honest and seeing their true self and where you actually are. So I want you to be as honest as you can be. And if you think that you lean in one direction or the other, either being overly positive or overly negative, then I would ask that you seek out the opinions of some close people that you trust and respect to get their thoughts about your assessment of where you're at. You want to examine your strengths. It'll be easier to tap into these resources when you're developing strong, successful plans for your goals. When you know what your strengths are and you have goals that you want to reach, you can look at the strengths and see how can these strengths serve me as I move forward towards these goals. Another thing I like to look at in this step is what would I have to give up to get what I want? That question is designed to try to get at the subconscious sabotage that we will put in our way. So these are the barriers that I mentioned earlier. Maybe I want to lose 20 pounds and I set that as a goal, but I have this fear that if I actually lose 20 pounds, I may get a lot of unwanted male attention that could threaten my relationship. I may not make progress towards the goal, and I won't understand why, because this is happening subconsciously. I want you to think about the goals that you want to set, and then ask yourself the question, what would I have to give up to accomplish this goal? It's not a question that you should be thinking about. It's not a question with an intellectual answer. It's a question with a gut feeling, and often the answer will just bubble up out of the recesses of your subconscious, and it might surprise you to hear the answer. 
The good news is that once you have that answer, you can take it out of the darkness of your subconscious, pull it out into the light where you can actually look at what is going on and what is preventing me from moving forward towards my goals. And when you have it in the light, you see that a lot of times you've made up a story that just isn't true. When that's the case, you can just disregard what you've been worrying about. Sometimes you may have to make a decision. Sometimes you may decide that you can only have one or the other. You think about which one you need to give up. I would recommend that before you go to that step, you ask yourself the question, is there any way I can have both? For example, maybe you want to lose 20 pounds and you realize you have to give up chocolate and you don't want to give up chocolate because chocolate is the thing that makes you feel like life is worth living. The question then becomes, is there any way you can lose 20 pounds and still eat chocolate? Of course there is. You can switch to dark chocolate, which has less calories, less sugar. You can exercise more and you can reduce your portions of chocolate. So there's all kinds of ways that you might be able to have both. But until you ask that question, people tend not to think about how can I have both. Step four is working backwards and priority management. I don't like to use the words time management because I don't believe that we're managing time. What we're really managing is our priorities so we can get the most out of the time that we have. This is the left brain part of goal setting. You're going to take your goals and you're going to break them down and you're going to put them in a calendar and schedule every day what you're going to do. That may sound terribly boring or horribly restrictive, but I want you to hang with me because I have some ideas and there's some things that I've implemented that help with that so that you don't feel boxed in and caged up with some schedule and that you're a slave to. So you've already created your vision for your life, for 10 years, for five years, and for three years. Now it's time to look at exactly what do you want to accomplish in 2020. So think about January 2021. What do you want to be able to say you've done? I also want to remind you that you are going to overcommit. Remember the research that says people think that they can accomplish way more in a year than they actually can, but that's okay. You want to set goals and you're going to accomplish as many as you can. And the ones that you don't get to, you will add on to next year's goals. So don't sweat it if you don't accomplish absolutely everything. It's more likely that you won't because of the tendency to overcommit. So you have your one-year goals. Now you're going to divide them into quarters. If your goal is to have $100,000 in your savings account by the end of 2020, then you know you have to have 25,000 every quarter. So you want to start figuring out how am I going to have $25,000 every quarter that I can put into my savings or retirement account or investment account. Every quarter you are going to have goals that you have to accomplish. And it might be something like writing a book. It's not that you're going to have the same thing for every quarter. The first quarter, you may want to have your outline done and your first draft finished. Second quarter, you might want to do the editing. Third quarter, you're looking at production. And fourth quarter, you're looking at marketing. All of that can be broken down into quarters. Have four pieces of paper or four files if you're doing this on the computer. And you write down March 31st, June 30th, September 30th, and December 31st. And think about what do you want to accomplish in each quarter. Then at the beginning of the month, 
you're going to sit down and you're going to say, okay, it's January. What do I need to accomplish off my first quarter goals in January so that I'm on track to be finished by March 31st? And you'll write down your monthly goals. Then I suggest you create a day, a time when you do your goal planning. For me, what worked best was Sunday afternoons. Some people like to do it Monday mornings and some people like to do it Friday afternoons. I don't care when you do it. I don't care what day, what time, as long as you do it and you're consistent with it. So whatever time you pick, you sit down and you look at your goals for the week and you schedule them into your planner and you allow as much time as you think you're going to need. And when the time is up, you stop. You don't let it spill over into another time slot. I also want to mention one of the things that I did the first time I did this goal setting was I booked myself so tightly. I had every hour of my day planned with something I was going to do. And it was great, but I forgot about a shower. I didn't put anything in there about taking care of personal hygiene. I didn't leave myself time for that. So of course I didn't stop showering, but what would happen is at the end of the day, I had an hour of undone things because I had to use them for my personal hygiene. You want to make sure that you take care of all those necessary things that you schedule time for them. Even meals, straightening up, if that's something that you do every day, whatever you do on a regular basis, you want to make sure you leave time for it in your schedule. I also recommend scheduling your most important things first. It's a lot like Stephen Covey's Big Rocks video that you can find on YouTube. If you put the big things in first, then you'll have time to do the little things. But if you just do the minutia, you'll find that you lose the time to do the big things. Decide what goals are most important for you and then schedule those first. Fit the other things around those goals. It's also good to consider your personal circadian rhythm. Some people are best in the morning. Some are best in the afternoon. Some do their best in the evening. So figure out what is your best time, your most productive time, and then schedule your important things for that time. Don't have your productive time spent answering emails, doing your exercise, or whatever else housework you may have to do. Make sure that productive time is for your most important projects. There's two kinds of people that really resist doing schedules. One is the spontaneous person. That's me. If I have on Wednesday afternoon from two to four, I'm going to clean my house and I have a girlfriend call me and say, Hey, Kim, you want to go see this movie? I'll tell you what, I'm out the door in the car on the way to the movies before we can even hang up the phone. I'm not invested in getting that housework finished. What I like to do is figure out how much spontaneity time I'm going to need in a week. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy. How do you know if it's going to be spontaneous? But think about how much do you deviate off your regular schedule in a week. If it's six hours a week, then take a day. You can pick whatever day you want, but I like it to be more towards the end of the week. So I might block it out on Saturday or Sunday and call it my free time. I give myself six hours of free time. So on Wednesday afternoon, if I choose to go to the movie instead of cleaning my house, I can take that house cleaning and I can move it to the free time. So I allow myself the opportunity to be as free and spontaneous as I want to be, and I give myself time slots to make that up in my week. 
The other person that may struggle with a schedule are people whose work or life revolves around crises. If you work with people, maybe you're on call for a foster care agency or you're a fireman or a police officer, you don't know when you're going to get called. You don't know when you're going to have to throw your schedule out the window and just go handle whatever that crisis or emergency is. This can also be true for mothers of young children. They have emergencies all the time. You know that you may not be able to stick to a schedule. If that's you, Take the time to figure out about how much time in your week is crisis time. Block it off somewhere else in your week. And when a crisis comes, just move the stuff to the place you blocked off for crisis time. You can't plan crises, but you can move what you were going to do during that time slot to a different time slot. So just make sure that you give yourself that room. That way you don't get so frustrated with the schedule and throw it out at the beginning of the week because you couldn't do what you planned to do on Monday or Tuesday. Remember, successful people will begin where others quit. Also, if you're trying to accomplish things and you know other people who have already accomplished those things that you're trying to do, see what you can learn from them. Spend some time with them. See if they'll be able to shorten that learning curve for you. It doesn't have to be people you know personally. Buy a book, read a book, go listen to someone online, go to an in-person program, learn from people who have already done what you're trying to do so that you're able to reproduce and do the things that they did and pattern your life after their successes. Up until this point, I've mostly been talking about left brain activities. That would be the scheduling that we just went over. The visualizations though are more right brained. Step five covers the right brain people. Step five, I call affirmations, visualization, and meditation. The three of those things are the trifecta of goal attainment for me. I want to start this step by saying, be sure to write your goals down. Now, I know you did that in the schedule, but you want to have them somewhere where you get to see them and you can just look at what your goals are for the year. Did you know that in 1953, Harvard did a study of the 1953 graduating class and found only 3% of the graduating students actually wrote down their career goals. 20 years later, a team of researchers interviewed that class of 1953, and they found that the 3% who had written down their goals had a bigger net worth than the other 97% combined. So make no mistakes. Writing your goals down pays off big time, so make sure they're written. An affirmation is writing your goal as if it were already true. So if you want to lose 20 pounds this year, your affirmation would be, I weigh 20 pounds less by such and such a date and look and feel terrific. I like to add that and look and feel terrific because I so believe in the power and strength of affirmations that I worry that if you say I lose 20 pounds, that the universe could make you sick, causing you to lose 20 pounds. That's not exactly what you had in mind. So you want to make sure that when you write affirmations that you are going to say over and over again, that you say exactly what you mean. I learned this the hard way. My mother and father got divorced when I was in college, and I had a younger brother who was about 16 years old. He lived with my mother. And he really gave her a run for her money. 
He was disrespectful. He yelled at her. He did things she told him not to do. And I remember thinking to myself then and many times since, please, God, whatever you do, don't let me be a single mom raising teenage boys alone. Those of you who know my story know that that's exactly what happened. My husband died when my kids were 13 and 15. I believe that that was an affirmation I was putting out into the universe. So be careful with your affirmations. They're very powerful. Once you have them set, then you want to say them at least twice a day. I like to do my affirmations in the morning when I'm getting ready for my day. I do it looking in the mirror and I do it as if I'm talking to myself and I say it in first person and third person. Uh, And then I'll do it again at night when I'm washing my face to go to bed. I'll look in the mirror again and I'll say them again. I live alone. I have my affirmations taped on my bathroom mirror, but you can put them wherever it works for you and do it at a time that makes good sense for you. Visualizing your success is like a mental rehearsal. It's like you're creating your own personal movie of what life will be like when you accomplish the things that you've written down. Think about all of the positive benefits of being successful at what you're trying to do and create this mental movie. And you're going to be including all five of your senses and you want to be thinking about all of the things in your life that are important to you. Where are you living? What does your house look like? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people in your life? Do you have pets? Are you on vacation? What does your bank account look like? And you want to be thinking about what are you hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, and feeling in this visualization. The great thing about this visualization, you can play this mental rehearsal, this mental movie anytime. You could be stuck in traffic and you can play it in your mind. You can remember it. You can see it. You can feel it. You can almost touch it. So make sure that you have this mental movie that you're able to run. You'll never get tired of reruns. Just make it as clear as you can and keep running it every time you get the opportunity. And meditation. Meditation can be a very spiritual practice of getting in touch with your inner self or your higher power. It's a quiet time of deep reflection where you might seek answers from a place within. Affirmations is a different thing than affirmations. Affirmations is actually asking a question. So you might say, how can I be so fit? How can I have the influence with all these people that are interested in my work? How can I be so happy? Ask the question. The brain is designed to find answers to questions. So when you pose a question, your brain goes into overtime to try to figure out the answer. So be careful again with the questions that you ask. And then when you go into a meditation, you may get those answers from a place inside you or outside of you. Taking a time to be still and to try to shut down that mental chatter that we all have in our heads is a very good practice to try to Focus yourself on the things you're trying to accomplish. Step six, I call positive attitude. One of the things I know for sure is we get to choose our attitude. It doesn't matter what happens in our life. What matters is how we respond to it. Having a positive attitude comes from focusing on what you have, not what you don't, 
and focusing on what you can do, not what you can't. When you do that, it's very difficult not to have a positive attitude. Maintaining an attitude of gratitude is another way of staying positive. Even when things happen that you wished hadn't happened, you can still look at those situations for what I call the glow. Gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom. You must believe in yourself and your ability to accomplish your dreams. Dream big. The only limitations you have are the ones you impose upon yourself. Believe in yourself. Maintaining a positive attitude, at least in the beginning, might require that you have a proactive plan for managing fear and doubt. If your dreams don't scare the heck out of you, you're probably not dreaming big enough. If you're scared, you probably will have times of fear and doubt. For sure, it's going to happen. So think about what your fears might be. Think about the things you may be doubtful over and come up with a plan of how you're going to handle that when it happens so that you're not immobilized with surprise and you already know what you're going to do when you're feeling fearful and doubtful. You don't want to be immobilized with fear and doubt. So make sure that you develop a proactive plan of how you're going to manage that before it actually happens. And my final step I call continuous improvement and staying motivated. Once you've accomplished your goals, you're going to want to have a little celebration. You're going to want to do a little dance or celebrate in whatever way is meaningful to you. And once the celebration is over, you're going to want to be looking at what's next. How do I improve upon what I already have? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you don't do that, someone else is going to come into your space and they're going to overtake where you are because you're not paying attention. Once we accomplish something, we've broken barriers. We know that there's more to be done. You need to be looking for what are the next opportunities? What is the next thing that you want to be focused on? Successful people do by habit what unsuccessful people won't even try. Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich, talked about having a burning desire to succeed. If you don't have a burning desire to accomplish your goals, something's going to happen by the time the Super Bowl's on TV where you're not really doing the things that you set out to do. You've got to have that burning desire. Along with the burning desire comes the need to understand your why. Why is this important to you? Why do you want to accomplish these things? How will life change for you and for the people that you care about? Understanding your why can help push you when you may feel like giving up because your goal is much bigger than you. You're not doing it just for you. You're doing it for a bigger purpose. Another way of staying motivated is to have an accountability partner, a coach, or a mastermind group that will help make sure that you're continuing the progress that you want to make. I love Jack Canfield's quote in his book, The Success Principles. He wrote, of all the things successful people do to accelerate their trip down the path to success, participating in coaching is at the top of the list. A coach will help you clarify your vision and goals, support you through your fears, keep you focused, confront your unconscious behaviors and old patterns, expect you to do your best, help you live by your values, show you how you can earn more while working less, and keep you focused on your core genius. Of course, I love that quote because I am a coach, but I also have hired coaches for myself to help me accomplish the goals that I'm trying to do. Could I have done it on my own? 
I probably could have. I didn't need a coach to help me do it. But what coaches do for me is they help me get to where I want to be faster. They hold me accountable and I move faster towards the goals that I want to accomplish. If coaching isn't for you, a mastermind group can help you in the same way. If you don't have one near you, create one. Find other people who are working on their goals. I find it helpful if you have a mastermind group to make sure that you're not working towards the same things. It's helpful to get different professions in there so that as you move towards your goals, different people will have new information, different information than you do that may be helpful for you. Accountability is very important. An accountability partner can be really instrumental in helping you accomplish your goals. My only word of caution with accountability partners is be careful who you choose. There are people in your life that will be all in at helping you accomplish your goals until they realize that when you accomplish them, something's going to change for them that they don't want to have changed. When this happens, whether they're aware of it or not, they may start sabotaging your efforts. So when you choose an accountability partner, make sure you have the right accountability partner for the right goal. To summarize, the seven-step process starts with beginning at the end with your 100th birthday party and what you want people to say about you. The next step is balance is the key. It's about not just focusing on one area of your life or two or three areas of your life, but looking at your entire life and creating goals in all the areas that are important to you. The next one is about taking stock, finding out where are you now, what are your strengths, and what are your barriers. Step five is the trifecta of affirmations, visualization, and meditation. Step six is maintaining a positive attitude. And step seven, continuous improvement and staying motivated. I hope you'll put this information to use and find that 2020 is your year where you actually accomplish the goals that you set, not just set them. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in next week to hear an interview I'm going to do with Dr. Nastrola Navid. He's going to talk with you about the psychology of success. Talk with you then.